All right, episode nine with Shane Cook, great fiddler, and uh, I was really excited about doing this podcast. Uh, for a very long time, I've heard nothing but great things about Shane, and everyone keeps telling me, have you heard Shane Cook play? And I said, no, I haven't had a chance. And he was at our theater performing with a show uh, for a week, so I got to hear him over and over again. He is really fantastic. And on top of that, he's just a really cool, really awesome, uh, laid-back guy. And uh, I think we became friends, and uh, we had this great podcast. So I hope you enjoy. Here it goes. Let's get this thing going before sure. we talk too much. All right, we're here with Shane Cook. Hey, Shane. How's it going? Good. I've seen you lots this week. I've seen you like twice in my life, and I've seen you like five days in a row. So this is uh, pretty cool. Uh, Shane's playing at the Walters Theater this week with a show called The Great uh, Canadian Fiddle Show. I'm doing a fantastic job. Uh, so it's, it's been pretty cool hanging and uh, hearing you play all week. I've certainly enjoyed it. Sounds awesome. I, well, I think you. I know two, sh- no, actually, I know three Shanes. One's a bass player and, and uh, two are fiddle players. Mm-hmm. How weird is that? There's uh, probably more of us out there too. Yeah, it's not a uh, it's not a common name, is it, Shane? It's like Darren. It's not a they're out there, but there's yeah. not a lot of them. Less so these days. Yeah, yeah. So let's go back to uh, how you started off. I know you've got a your family has a long history of playing the fiddle and being musicians and and. Uh, uh, your dad plays, right? Yeah, he's a fiddler too. Yeah, an old time fiddler. Yeah. yeah, and uh, so how far does it go back? Well, his uh, mom came from a family of eleven, yeah. and there were ten of them that played some type of uh, acoustic instrument. So, oh. uh, several of them played fiddle and guitar and accordion and piano, and yeah. and then their mother was a piano teacher. Um, and then on my dad's side, or on my dad's father's side, uh, he had, uh, let's see, his dad had two brothers that played the fiddle. So there's another branch that goes back on that side too. And so. So was your mom, did your mom play? She played piano until my yeah. brother and I started playing on stage. And I think the thought of us luring her up there was enough for her to close the lid on the piano. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that always sometimes, well, that sometimes happens, but it probably shouldn't, but. Uh-huh. It's it's too bad because it would be yeah. great to play with her. But um, when we were growing up, I mean, I would hear her from time to time when she thought no one was listening. You know, I would hear yeah. some tinkles from the piano upstairs. But uh, generally, she didn't play much. And Ontario bass for most of the family, or is it yeah, totally? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think on both sides goes way back. Uh, pretty much all in the Stratford area, though. Yeah, yeah. So you started uh, playing fiddle at what age? Uh, I was seven. Seven. Um, yeah, I grew up around my dad. My dad's playing though, so sort of just always around it. And I don't think it was an accident. I mean, he took us to uh, a lot of musical events. It wasn't just fiddle. I think he was just trying to expose us to music overall. And and uh, there happened to be some fiddle contests and things like that along the way. And yeah. he had uh, he had made it pretty clear to both my brother and I that when we would turn seven that we would take music lessons just as a part of uh, our education. Yeah. And uh, I guess having heard the fiddle so much, that was just the easy choice. 
wonder why the age is seven. Was there that particular reason for seven? Or? You'd have to ask him. Yeah. I don't know. Because yeah, sometimes it's, it's, it's funny, because that's kind of an odd age to, to start. Not that it's odd, but usually I find that it's usually either four or five, mm-hmm. you know, super young, or it jumps into the teens. Mm-hmm. For most people I, you know, I talk to, and, but seven and eight, nine is sort of that, that middle ground in between. You don't hear that that often, but it's a good, a good, a good starting point. Yeah. It's hard to say what the thinking was. I mean, it was, uh, as it turned out, it, you know, I started at seven, but my brother actually started quite a bit earlier. I mean, he yeah. always had a, I don't know what it was an one eight size maybe. And, uh, he would just sort of drag it around everywhere and it got beat up and yeah. managed to stay together. And then there was just sort of a day where it was like, wait a second, he's actually, he's actually playing something, you know? Yeah. And, and he was probably, I don't know if he was four or five at that point. And, uh, and then it just kind of grew from there. Um, and it was kind of the same with hockey. I think I started hockey at seven and, uh, and then my brother somehow got into it sooner. It was just sort of yeah. following along. And is he younger? He's four years younger oh, and, yeah. uh, still probably my best friend. And we, uh, still play hockey together and still play fiddle together. And that's cool. Yeah. Golf and all that. So when you were starting, uh, fiddle, was that something you just really wanted to, to do over one of those things where, why don't you try doing this and and see where it goes? Or is it something you you remember that? Yeah, I definitely wanted to do it. Hmm. I think it depends on how I want to remember this. Uh, I suspect that uh, I probably wasn't totally keen on it, um, just being a lazy little kid. But yeah. uh, um, I know that uh, I definitely needed to be told to practice and, and all that kind of stuff uh, until I met uh, Denis Langto, who was a fiddler up in the Ottawa area. I met him when I was uh, about 11 and uh, I ended up taking seven lessons with him and they were monster day-long type lessons. Oh, yeah. Bring the cassette recorder and yeah. just fill cassette after cassette after cassette and then take them home and work on them for months. And, and uh, But when I met him and got to spend just a little bit of time with him, uh, I don't actually remember this, but my dad says that was the last time he had to ask me to practice. Yeah, so that's the turning point. Yeah, yeah, totally. What's tough when you're that age, I know uh, I started when I was four, and I primarily wanted to play really bad because my grandpa played. He was an old-time, old, old-time fiddle player. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and at that age, I just wanted to do everything my grandpa did, right? Mm. He was fascinated by my grandpa. He was a great carpenter and I wanted to build stuff with him and, and we built the studio in here. We built that, this together. And, um, so yeah, that was a huge driving force for me. But then as probably I got maybe to age seven or eight or in there, it was, it was work. Like I know my mom had to really, all right, time to practice and, you know, made sure it happened because it, I wanted to, but. I also wanted to go outside and play and um, also want to watch TV and I want to do all those other things. Right. Um, so it, it takes some discipline, you know, it takes parents to, um, you know, to really sit there and, and say, yep, yeah, no, you got to do it. I think uh, also probably, I think for parents sometimes too, it, they see that there's something there too. Right. And so they know it's worthwhile to, to really enforce, enforce you to, to practice and, and, and keep it going. Absolutely. And probably see that there's a, you know, 
a future there, right? There you can actually make a living being a fiddle player or being a musician. And whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not sure that any... You can. <laughs> sure I said you can. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have my doubts that that's quite what my parents had in mind. But uh, you're right. I mean, I, it's a rarity to see uh, kids that play music that don't have a supportive parent behind them. Yeah. Um, and uh, obviously there's a lot of value there, whether you you know do it for a living or not. Um, and, and we're seeing that right now. We have a, a four-year-old son and he has a little fiddle and... Uh, um, He's, uh, you know, he makes sounds on it, but uh, I wouldn't say he's really playing any music yet. Uh, and yet, I kind of already consider him a musician because I, I watch him with it, and when he gets it out, uh, and it'll be when I'm teaching a lesson or someone's over for a rehearsal, he'll want to join in. And he grabs his instrument, and he comes in, and usually he wants to get right in the middle of things, and he gets his fiddle up, and he saws away with us. And he gives you that, he looks, he's, he's looking, are you, you know, are you hearing this? This is the most, you know, this is this amazing thing that's happening. And, and yeah. he's already connecting with this instrument, even though he doesn't really, he hasn't, you know, he hasn't learned how to play any tunes yet or anything, but um, I love that, that he's, he's uh, experiencing that already. And, and I hope that we can kind of um, encourage that and, and see where it leads. It may not be on the fiddle. It might be another instrument. Um, yeah. I hope it's music at some point, but uh um, but I love, I love that he's experiencing that already because, uh, I see, um, you know, I, I, for a while I was, uh, you know, I did a classical undergrad and I, I was around some classical music and I love classical music, but, um, I found, you know, the performing situations there can be pretty stressful and maybe sometimes missing some of the joy that I find when I play the fiddle. And, uh, uh, I love that I see that in our four-year-old son already. Yeah. There's unfortunately a lot of pressure on I think when you have a child and when you're a musician yourself and you're well known as a musician it's not a pressure from you but there's pressure from everybody else mm -hmm. they expect that your son or your daughter's going to play there's a I think there's an expectation hmm. from people and I think that's tough for I seen that with my nephew and uh and he's a you know great musician he's super talent, but you could see right away that people were like, well, what's he going to play? Is he going to be this or mm -hmm. he's going to do that? And, and, and there's a, all this expectation. And I always felt like I didn't want to throw that on him. And, and I, I'm sure you feel the same way. It's neat when you see it happen, but there's a part of you. It's like, it's okay if he isn't, you know, of course. And, it, and if it's okay, if he doesn't play the fiddle, uh, it's okay if he plays something else or, um, you know, as long as you know that they're having fun and they're having, you know, they're enjoying themselves. And, and I think there's sometimes, uh, you know, there could be that unnatural pressure that you don't want to put on kids, but everyone else around thinks that, you know, that's going to happen. So it makes you feel like you, sh you should do something, but naturally inside when you're just with them, it's just, yep, yeah, whatever you want to do and just have fun. Yeah, there'll be a, there's probably a tricky balance there. Um, I mean, I can relate to what you're saying there. I, I think I saw it with my younger brother. Yeah. Um, uh, I was totally unaware of it, you know, when we were younger, but I, as I look back now, I can sort of see it. Um, yeah. So, I mean, if we can avoid that, uh, great. I really hope that he does play music though. Um, I, you know, I, I think about uh, my wife, Jillian, who is a, a pianist and singer and um, not that she does that for a living, but, yeah. but she's a quite a wonderful musician and uh, she, but she also has a very stressful 
job during the day. And I, I see her sometimes she comes home from work and can be maybe not herself. She's just been run over at work and, and sometimes upset. And, um, on good days when I think when I don't think she thinks about this, I don't know, we haven't really talked about it, but, uh, when she sits down at the piano, even for five minutes, it's amazing. She comes away a different person. It's like, she's hit a reset button Yeah, and, uh, uh, you know, it's just such a positive force in her life. And I, you know, like I don't have a, a day job per se. I mean, I just play music, but, uh, I'm so lucky cause I don't, you know, I, I get to do that every day and I, I, uh, generally don't feel that pressure and don't need to hit the reset button. I'm, I'm just kind of living this. You're hitting it every, every time you, you play, you hit the reset music. button. <laughs> yeah. So, so when you first started out, you started, uh, uh, playing at a young age and, um, so who primarily were you, you, you said the, the fellow from Ottawa, you, you took some lessons from? Big time. Denny um, Langto, yeah. And then from there, where'd you go? Well, my, I'd take a step back. My first teacher was, was Ian Hamilton when I was seven. And uh, he, he's from where again? He's, he grew up in London, London and then moved up to uh, Cobden. Okay. And uh, so for the first year, I took lessons with him. And it was kind of an interesting start with him, maybe unusual uh, in that he would come to the house and he'd bring his fiddle, but he'd most weeks would bring his hockey stick so he could blast tennis balls at my brother and I, you know, road hockey. Cause Ian was a young guy at this point too. He was probably, I don't know if he was still in high school or just finishing or or something like that, but um, maybe just finished high school. But he, so he'd bring, you know, his fiddle, his hockey stick, his fishing rod. Cause we lived on the Thames river. He'd maybe go fishing. Maybe we'd go with him. And then, Oh yeah, he was definitely done high school because he'd often have a case of beer and a yeah. twenty-two rifle, and he and my dad would sit and wait for the groundhogs <laughs> that were causing all the trouble underneath the barn. I have a very clear memory of that. Yeah, <laughs> and and, uh, and he just spend the afternoon and and um, um, you know that was there was such a a great personal connection with him too, and I think that pro- I mean that probably was a big reason why I stuck with the fiddle too and and unfortunately he moved away uh he moved up to ottawa to live he moved in with the schreier triplets or, yeah. or at least a couple of them i think and and uh his dad gerald took over teaching me and gerald's a really wonderful musician who was in london guitar and fiddle and so i, I actually took lessons with him from the time i was eight till i was about uh 17 yeah. and uh and lessons with him were, were great. I mean, it started out with uh, a lot of sheet music and learning tunes by ear and this and that. And then over the years, uh, it just sort of turned into a gym. I'd just bring my fiddle and he'd have his guitar out and there'd be lessons where he might not even have really played his fiddle much, but we would, uh, we'd just play and play and play. And, and he would set aside, uh, usually he would set aside his entire Tuesday night for my brother and I, it's pretty hard to find a teacher that would do that these days. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, so we were really lucky to be around them too. Um, and then, you know, I met Denis when I was 11 and, uh, between 11 and 14 or 15, he, uh, he really changed my course. And then somebody gave me a Mark O'Connor cassette when I was 15. Yeah. And, uh, that was a big deal. Was that the, the one where he plays Orange Blossom at Warp 50? <laughs> no, I, I did uh, obviously found that one shortly after that. But uh, no, it was the contest years and it was a cassette. It was a compilation of, of his contest performances at the Weezer, Idaho uh, competition. So U.S. National Championships. Uh, and I think the uh, in the youngest clips, he's about uh, 
maybe 13 or 14. Uh-huh. And then, you know, it's through to about age 21 or 23 or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, and so it's pretty cool. And there's a book too, and of transcription. So it's pretty cool to read about his story and, and see, you know, his progression and, and, uh, you know, it's definitely something to strive for. Yeah. Um, and, uh, years later I got to meet him. We, we, uh, was playing with a show called Bowfire and we were playing at the Beacon Theater in New York and he came out to the, the gig and, uh, he stuck around afterwards and came down to the green room and introduced himself and, and, uh, was, was, uh, very generous and, and seemed, you know, supportive of the show and all that. And it was, you know, like one of the great moments in my life. Oh, and, yeah. uh, and what totally blew me away was that he followed up and, and started inviting me to teach at his music camps. So I oh, got to great. bounce around all these camps in Nashville and, um, uh, uh, New York and Boston and, uh, and through Mark, I got to meet like so many of my fiddle heroes, uh, yeah. cause they were also teaching at these camps. And so, um, yeah, that little cassette that, uh, was Mark DeLong that, that gave it to me, uh, sort of changed things for me a little bit too that's neat when you get an album of some sort that could be anything and that and that's the one that really makes you want to go yes that's yeah that's where i want to go yeah so when you started uh violin um were you studying fiddle were you studying classical or how did you start out right into uh fiddling with ian yeah i mean he had a he's also a classical accordionist um, so even though he's a, a straight ahead kind of old time fiddler, um, I mean, he plays bluegrass and some Irish music too, but, uh, but not a classical violinist. Uh, he still brought, um, some of that, um, mentality, I think, you know, they were maybe not mentality, but, um, that approach, you know, we were working on scales and arpeggios pretty early on and, yeah. and, um, you know, just posture and, and all that too was, was sort of important despite what it might look like when I play these days. Um, <laughs> he was a stickler. <laughs> yeah. I was same with me. Everything was like, yep, this and I'm, and I think eventually you just find what works good for you. Yeah. And then that's, that's what you stick with whether, cause there's not really a right way or there's no particular handbook saying this is the law and this is the way you have to do it. Probably suggested you should play like this but um yeah i think the further i come with this instrument the more i realize that too there are are, there are definitely wrong ways to go about it yeah uh but uh for me just trying to stay free of tension is sort of the key to everything yes uh, you know you you look at some players you see it's like wow there's that's no technique i mean it's their technique but it's unlike anything you've ever seen before Mm -hmm. and it's fantastic you know, I love it when you see that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I used to love watching, uh, Doug Kershaw mm-hmm. play and he just that old Cajun and he'd just be ripping it. And this, you know, there was no, you know, strong bowing technique at all. It was just, you know, hands way up on the bow and, and it was great. I you see it. it and think that could never work. And then you see the audience and it's like, Oh, it's working. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. So, how long was it until you started getting into the contest world? Pretty much right away. I yeah. think within a year of starting, there was the fiddle contest in Stratford. And, uh, uh, is that the first one you went into? Stratford was the first one. Yeah. Yeah. And do you then, remember that one? I do. Yeah, yeah, I definitely do. Uh, pretty clearly. It wasn't the first fiddle contest I went to though. I remember going to, we went to a fiddle contest in Darien Lake, New York. Uh, and, um, 
oddly, I don't actually remember Kenny Baker. He was there. Uh, but I do remember some of the contest, uh, and I do remember the, the jams and the kind of campground afterwards. And, uh, um, as it turns out, Randy Howard was there and, uh, not that he had a big influence on me then, but I met him years later and he, he actually, he did turn out to be a big influence. Uh, but yeah, we went to that, and I remember going to the the Blythe fiddle contest too. And um, there was a young guy there that I had played with all day. You know, we were probably playing with trucks or whatever. I don't know what we were doing. I yeah. was probably about six. And then he had to leave and go get his fiddle and go play in the fiddle contest. And I remember watching it and thinking, "Wait a second, I'd like to do that." You know. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So Stratford was the first fiddle contest, and we went. I think we went to Pembroke the first that first summer too, and and uh, I'm sure there were some others too. Yeah, I'm, as you're talking, I'm trying to remember if I can think of what my first contest was. I think it was in Tilsonburg had wow a fellow contest. I think it was part of the fair or something like that. Didn't know about that. And I remember because I I had my picture taken. It was in the paper because uh, I think near the end they had everyone come up and play it all together. And I was the picture of me. I was the youngest contestant mm-hmm. standing next to the oldest contestant and he was easily in his 80s like maybe late 80s or something like that i can remember the picture playing this day because we had it up on our wall for years and mm-hmm. in our old practice room but uh yeah i had this little suit uh thing on and and my brother uh played acoustic for me uh but that's i'm pretty sure that was the first one for me mm-hmm. and after that i don't i can't remember <laughs> but well, it was because they just kind of blended in. But sure. you know, you remember uh, Hansel was a big one for me. I never did get to yeah. that contest. It, it stopped before I had started. I yeah. think. But I'm older than you. Um, <laughs> Hansel and of course Shelburne. Yeah. Uh, and Bob, Bob Cajun. Cajun. And there was one in Bell River. Yeah, we went to that. Yeah. Uh, they had a didn't they have a singing contest in yes. there too? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, half singing and then the other half was fiddle. Yeah. Um, and then Drayton was another one. Yeah, yeah, I did Drayton. Uh, I'm trying to remember what else. There wasn't. We didn't go too far away. Uh, I don't. I don't remember if I went to Pembroke at all. Okay, there were quite a few in the the uh, Ottawa Valley too, with yeah. Lanark and Perth, and uh, yeah, there were there were others too. If I had to think about it here, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's different because at that time for me. I was playing with my brother and sister. We were the Walters family trio. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's before my mom and dad joined. So I would do fiddle contests, but we, we'd spend a lot of time. We used to play all over the place. We played dances on the weekends, and we played you know, fairs and different things all the time. So we were busy actually doing gigs, so yeah. I didn't get a chance to do a whole lot of fiddle contests because mm-hmm. we were actually... Uh, doing all this other stuff. So it was kind of a, whenever we could, let's do this one or whenever I could and do this one. Sure, so, yeah. Um, I remember seeing your name on trophies so. though. Oh, nah, not many, but there's, <laughs> there's a few out there somewhere. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it was neat for me. I mean, look, I, I, I was, uh, pretty well the same. I, I was in the class with the Shire triplets and, um, Danelle Lehe. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to, it was like the, the bunch, the few of us in there. And that was a tough, you know, that was when I was under 12. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, I didn't go into, into contests after I, I hit the age of 12. And, um, but that was tough competition. Absolutely. And they were smoking. I mean, look at them now, but yeah, they were, 
they were really good. Um, you know, Denal was, it was kind of a, it was either, either one of us that would take it at one point. Mm-hmm. Less often it was me, but it was more often it was Denal or one, one of the Shire <laughs> uh, kids and, and, uh, and the odd time I'd slip through. Sure. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a neat time. Did I, was it you that I was telling you the story how I got out of the contest? No, not at all. I don't know about this. So this is what happened to me and I was, I think I was 12 and uh, went up to Toronto to a contest. And I think it was part of the Royal Winter Fair or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, obviously I was in the 12 and under class and there was four of us and uh, three got to the finals. You can probably tell where this is going to go. So, you know, I did my... Uh, usual tunes and everything went fine and waltz jigging a reel and away you go and it was great no problems and then there was this girl came up and I wish I knew who it was or if she's still playing mm-hmm. or, or anything about it and in primary I wish I knew who the judges were anyway she she got <laughs> into the tune and uh, at some point she had to she messed up and stopped had to restart and stopped again, then started crying, went into it again. I stopped and cried again, and then finished. And she got in the finals and I didn't. And mm. I remember I remember the drive home, plain as day. I remember sitting in the back seat of the car on the right side, um, and about halfway home, um, they were just kind of quiet all the way home mm-hmm. I remember just saying that's my last contest and for some reason that particular thing whatever for whatever reason just turned me off from it and I never went in a contest again it's too bad because um, stuff like that does happen I it know. does I mean yeah. it's part of competition it's, it's thing but when you're 12 it hits you way different than when you're older when you're older Absolutely. you're just like yeah okay you know we understand you know Sometimes it's this person, sometimes that. It mm-hmm. doesn't really always mean anything, but it's nice. And, you know, sometimes there's no difference between first or second, or sometimes mm-hmm. there is, and sometimes the second gets in first when it should have been the other way. Um, and, uh, but yeah, for some reason, it just hit me a certain way at that age. Yeah. And I just didn't want to partake again. And I think probably for me, I had another outlet. And that was playing with the family. And that's it. And I was lucky because I, I knew that I can still play and we can do our thing. And I'm, I was happy and I was able to keep playing and not have to play in the contest. Because lots of time, there, there isn't when you're 12. There's who else you're going to play fiddle with. And that's just it. I mean, yeah. for me, I had two outlets. There was the fiddle contest and then the uh, Forest City Maritimer Club. And uh, there sure weren't any kids at the Maritimer Club. It was yeah. great. I mean, we'd, we'd go and jam there, but... Um, uh, you know, to go to school, it wasn't like there were other, like you said, there weren't other 12 year olds around that were playing the fiddle, but to go to the fiddle contest, you know, they were all over the place. And, uh, um, I don't know if I ever had anything quite like that happen to me at the contest, but there have been some, you know, less than stellar results over the years. And, and fortunately I think the, you know, the, the friendships and the, you know, the bond that you make with, all these musicians, these, all these fiddlers at these, these contests, uh, kind of held me in there and, and, you know, it was just such a wonderful thing to show up at the contest and you, you know, you go and compete and that's definitely a big part of it, but, but also just being able to play together and, and, uh, um, it's, it's you know, jam. It, yeah. It's more, 
it's just as much so- social as it is totally about the contest. Yeah. I mean, that's almost ends up what it seems like now it's secondary or, you know, it's part of the whole thing. Yeah. It's just, you know, that's neat to do that, but it's, everyone looks forward to afterwards when they, everyone gets yeah. to, to play. And, and, and it's not just other kids too, though. I mean, it is a intergenerational thing. Um, it, you know, it's not a weird thing to see a 12 year old sitting there playing the fiddle with a 75 year old. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that there are a lot of, uh, activities out there these days where you would see that kind of thing and, and not look at it and think it was unusual at least. I mean, I mean, obviously there are, but, um, it's a pretty fantastic opportunity. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really sorry to hear that that happened to you. Um, Oh, I actually look back at it and, and it was, I'm totally fine with it. Yeah. And because it took me, to a direction where I think I was supposed to go. And um, for whatever reason, you know, if it meant, if there's something that meant for it to happen, because um, I I think for me, um, I like doing the fiddle contest, but it wasn't, I, I like performing better. Mm-hmm. Um, not that you're not performing, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, I, I enjoyed that aspect and I enjoyed, um, kind of being a backup fiddle player and, sure. and, you know, doing the solos and, and all that stuff. I, I like to, I like the freer form of that. I felt that it, I felt restricted a bit where, you know, you felt you had to be super precise and you had to play, you know, uh, your three tunes and, and had to be a certain time. And, you know, that stress, I remember that stressing me out mm-hmm. and, and playing with the family um, and doing whatever else it did, I, I felt that just more f- freeing, I think, after sure. thinking about it. And I think for me, uh, as a player I am, I think that w- was the road I was supposed to go down. Mm-hmm. So um, I think everything kind of works out for for a reason. And, and uh, um, uh, But I, I look back fondly on, you know, I, I had some good times. And, mm-hmm. and uh, But yeah, I'm, I remember it being a little stressful, and I remember it being stressful because... Uh, Damn, Denal was so damn good. <laughs> and he still is. He still is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's just like, but it's good because, it, you know, it really made you work, right? You know, mm-hmm. it's just like, okay, I got to try at least once in a while, try to beat him. And, um, and you know, there's, and no matter what, I mean, no matter who you are, there's always someone out there that is better. And it, you know, it blows you away. All of a sudden, this person will come up out of nowhere. It's like, where did that person come from? Yeah. And it's really cool. And then see, and it, you know, talking about young people playing, I think there's certain instruments out there, and I think fiddle is certainly one of them. Uh, that it's neat seeing young kids learn to play, and it feels like not necessarily that you're passing it on, but it feels like it's not an instrument that everyone picks up. Um, you know, everyone seems to, they want to play guitar or they want to, mm-hmm. you know, you want to play the drums before they play the fiddle, nothing against drummers. Um, but it's neat to see, you know, I'm always excited to see a young person pick up the fiddle and play. And it's almost like the steel guitar, right? How many steel guitar, young steel guitar players are there out there? They're like, I don't know any. I don't either. <laughs> yeah. It's even worse than, than harder than the fiddle. Um, at least the fiddle, you can, you know, there's that. You can just pick it and play it. And steel's more of a backing instrument mm-hmm. to some degree. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm always really excited when I see 
younger people playing and and there are i think there are a lot of of young players um you know the fiddle you were talking about fiddle contests i mean like they're they're definitely not uh generally not doing as well these days audiences are getting smaller and and uh, um people are getting older but you look at the younger classes and the uh competitors are there i mean it's it's there's some really fantastic young uh fiddlers in our province and and uh you know, they may not have the contest as, as an outlet so much these days, but uh, hopefully, um, you know, there'll be other places for them to play and, and, you know, it'll continue on. Yeah, and at least they're still there. I mean, they're... Yeah. Um, I think, you know, the good ones always keep going. And, mm-hmm. um, and same thing. I mean, nowadays, there's so many... You, you take a look in the summer, what's going on on a weekend. Back in the day when I was, there was nothing else going on. You know, there was the fiddle contest was the big deal or mm-hmm. um, you didn't have near the competition. Um, and I'm sure for kids, very distracting, you know, for for me anyways, and I'm sure for you when we were, were growing up, there wasn't that much extra to do. I mean, you want to go outside and play because that's what you want to do, mm-hmm. play hockey or whatever. But you didn't have the internet. No. Um, <laughs> you know, you didn't have all this streaming possibilities. You didn't have Facebook. You didn't have all this all these distractions. Mm-hmm. Um, but the cool thing is, you know, you do have YouTube and Google and, and if you're interested in fiddle players, you can go Google stuff and you can find stuff that you would never see when we were younger. Um, mm-hmm. so that, that's kind of a cool outlet there. I mean, there's positives to it, but. Oh, um, plenty. Yeah. I mean, yeah. young players today, I mean, it, it blows me away how, um, how much, better they get so quickly uh and and not just at playing fiddle tunes but just overall as musicians being exposed to so much and and it seems like most young fiddlers these days are not just learning how to play a tune but they're they're learning about harmony and and chords and and probably playing another instrument or two as well and i think as far as i can tell that might be as a little that might be a little bit different than than what most fiddlers were doing uh when i was competing yeah. Um, it seemed almost everyone that I can remember just played the fiddle. Yeah. And, and so what a wonderful thing that, uh, that they're, you know, not just fiddlers, but, but more, you know, like all round musicians. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Really diverse. And it can really fit into a lot of different scenarios. And, mm-hmm. and there's, there's a lot of cool live shows out there, you know, there's like you mentioned the bowfire and, um, there wasn't any of those type of shows years ago. I mean, there's way more fiddle based, shows out there than there's there's ever been um there's you know a bunch out there uh and that's pretty cool yeah i think there are although i kind of wonder if we're <laughs> i think maybe things come in waves and i'm do you think we might be in a bit of a trough right now or I, could I, be i come at things sometimes from like i you know i look at the celtic wave that would have happened in the 90s and that's certainly gone past us now i think and and like i play a lot of irish and scottish music spent a lot of time out in the east coast and and uh I mean, obviously you get out there and there's, it's very popular, but, um, you know, I toured with the show Bowfire for 15 years and, uh, uh, you know, over the years you could, you could go, we, we'd play a lot of soft seat theaters and, and, uh, you look at the, uh, the size of the groups that would come through and they just, every year were getting smaller and smaller and, and, uh, um, yeah, it feels like things have changed. Yeah. And it does go through cycles, right? I just look at our theater here, for an example, um, 
I think it goes in 12, 15 to 20 year cycles. Um, I took it, I take a look at what we booked in our theater 10, 15 years ago. And I, I can't go with that same thing anymore mm-hmm. where it was a bit more traditional, it was more country. It was more the older country. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's all about the more older and more nostalgic rock and roll stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and 12 years ago, if I put some of the shows we have in here now in a theater, it would have been horrible. Nobody would have came. I mean, I mean, I'm sure we would have got somebody, but it wouldn't have been the big success it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I got to put all that other stuff kind of back in the back burner. So now I'll just bring one or two country shows and, and they'll do well, but I can't afford to have three or four because mm-hmm. one will do well and the others will suffer because they, people just, just enough people to go. They want to go see the one or two. Uh, but yeah, I think that also has a cycle and, and, you know, fiddle shows and, and the Celtic stuff. That was, that was such a big, huge thing for a while. Mm-hmm. And I think probably because fiddle is really a, a diverse instrument. Um, but with any instrumental type instrument, I think you can only, take it for so long if that makes sense right for in a show you know what i mean <laughs> i totally know what you mean i unfortunately yeah because it's you can only go so many places because unless it's a lyric you know there's a lot of singers in the show or something mm-hmm. to break it up um 90 minutes of fiddle music is a long time mm-hmm. even for a fiddler i mean it it gets you can it gets a lot of this stuff ends up sounding the same. And then that's just the way it is. It's no different if you wanted to do, I don't want to put fiddle and polka music in the same category, but for some people it's the same time. You know, I love having Walter Austin here and he's fantastic and, and mm-hmm. it's great. But after a while, unless you're really a diehard, um, it gets a lot the same. Yeah. And I think, you know, for some of these shows and the, some of them that I saw, um, that I think they were riding the wave a bit and then go deep enough with the shows or think that what else or what else can I do to supplement uh, these shows to keep them, keep them going? Do mm-hmm. I need to add more singing in the show now? Or maybe mm-hmm. do I need to add, you know, more instrumental stuff from other instruments? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, does that make make sense? Oh, totally to you? does. Yeah. yeah, and I, you know, I, I definitely uh, relate to that. I am a fiddler, but yet uh, uh, I have my limits too. And and I, th- it may be, um, you know, when I look at what it is that I play, um, and maybe that even shows up in in what it is that I'm doing because I, you know, people ask what what's your favorite tune or what's your favorite type of fiddling, and I usually don't have an answer. And it's, we, you know, set to set tune to tune day to day, week to week, festival to festival. It's always changing. And, and, uh, um, it's kind of nice to, that there is all that, you know, like it is such a versatile instrument, you know, every culture on the planet has some type of string tradition. Yeah. And, um, and it's, you know, pretty fantastic to be able to explore all those. And so, um, not all of those, but you know, to keep exploring that and, and, uh, 
so, you know, it might be bluegrass for 10 minutes. I, I, I imagine if my wife listens, when she's listening to me play downstairs, she must just think, well, she knows I'm pretty scatterbrained, but I mean, I, I just, I can only imagine what she's hearing. It's, it's, you know, five minutes of bluegrass and all of a sudden I'm off into an Irish tune and then it's a swing tune and then it's, uh, uh, you know, some type of, uh, Scandinavian tune and then, and then maybe something from Quebec and it's, she's probably, maybe she's worried about me. I don't even know. <laughs> she's going mental. <laughs> it's like happening mid phrase too. <laughs> <laughs> but that's cool. I mean, that's, that's neat because it, you got to keep the brain working, right? If yeah. it's the same thing over and over again, then, uh, and maybe that's why, Fiddle contests are failing a bit because it really is the same thing, right? Is it? Uh, maybe, I I, and I haven't, I haven't been to one for a while, so I'm just talking from what I remember. Right? Is it still? I think there's been a shift. Is there? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it, the uh, there's a lot more open-mindedness now. Um, you know, when I think about old-time fiddling here in Ontario. In my mind, it's always been. I hear it, and I and I. To me, it's it's a Celtic music. I mean, it has its roots in, you know, Irish and Scottish fiddling. There's definitely an American influence on some of it. Um, um, depending who you hear, there can be you know country elements and 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 that. But when you when you think about you know the dance that goes with most of the music, a lot of it, the dance has its roots in Ireland and Scotland too. And and obviously, there, you know, there are other things that are coming in. But um, these days, um, it's not frowned upon to play something that's that's in a an Irishy style or, or or in a slightly bluegrassy style or swingy or, or something like that. Um, Is it still waltz jig and reel? Still waltz? Uh, well, not necessarily. Um, some of them now have included a tune of choice. The Grand Masters fiddle competition in which often takes place in Ottawa, but uh, you know, isn't actually is moving around most years. It it will. Uh, I think these days they ask for four contrasting tunes, and they can be. It can be anything, and That's uh, good. yeah, it's great. So mm-hmm. it makes for a pretty uh, entertaining show too. Yeah. Um, so I think there's there's room there to grow. Um, the tough part is that there's there's probably some pushback from some of the people that have been around that scene for for years and years too, but. You know, that's not, that's not old time fiddling. You know, I'm sure there's people saying that, but, but I don't know, it's a living tradition and it has to grow if it's not evolving and, and growing, it's just going to die. So, yeah. Uh, just act is still piano fiddle or guitar fiddle based at the contest. Yeah. Uh, most of them are piano fiddle. The grandmasters again, uh, you can bring any two instruments you want up. So yeah. usually it's piano and, and guitar, but sometimes it'll just be fiddle guitar. Um, I have seen basses up there before. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it would be neat to change that up. You know, it'd be totally. neat if you could, you know, I look at the, uh, the Weezer Idaho contest. I used to go down to that to compete at it. And, uh, you know, they don't even put a limit on how many companies you can bring up on stage. Uh, I think it's as long as you can drag it up there, you're, you're yeah. good. And so they, they, uh, they bring a mic, sort of an Omni mic down in the center and everybody just stands around one mic. Some of them even with backs to the audience, cause they get so many people up on stage around this fiddler and, and you'll see, uh, you know, there might be two guitar players, a tenor guitar, a mandolin and a bass, you know, yeah. whacking away and, and the fiddler trying to play loud enough to be heard and, and it's great because it's, you know, there's an energy in that and, and um, uh, you know, everybody really has to listen and it fe- you can tell so often, you know, it's not overly rehearsed and they're, they're sort of, you know, they, they really do have to listen to one another and, and play together and um, 
you know, it is an exciting thing. Um, there's, there's definitely, um, room at the Ontario contest to, you know, to, to make things interesting. And, and I think, you know, the, the contests are, are doing what they can. Uh, you know, I think there's some really great ideas at the, the, uh, in, at the contest in Tavistock. I really like what they're up to. And I, I love what the grand masters did there. And, and, yeah. uh, um, there, for years there was a contest in, in my hometown in Dorchester and, uh, they had a fun category called the grassroots category where you would go up and pick a, tunes out of a hat and, and, uh, that's cool. Just old tunes. And, Mm -hmm. and, uh, I'd fail that one. Well, (laughs) we're like, what's that tune? Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of that. I don't think I've ever heard that one before, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, it was exciting too. So, um, yeah, just trying to maybe break the mold a little bit, uh, isn't such a bad idea. Yeah. Do they, um, so the trick filling still a part of it? It's not. No. No, I, you know, I miss that. I remember, do you remember, was Slim Gainer coming to the the contest when you were around? I remember the name, but I don't remember seeing. Uh, he had I, the last couple times I saw him, or maybe the last time I saw him play, he he brought um, he had a he had like taped fireworks, firecrackers, like like a variety of things, <laughs> like taped them to his instrument and his bow, yeah. and they were like going off mid performance and. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, so they don't do that con- or that class anymore. Came you know, fire hazard. Oh, not yeah. at all. No, <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Type fireworks to a wooden instrument. Yeah. Uh, what about? Um, do you have any form of group uh, fiddle classes? Uh, like you know, maybe uh, like three, four fiddles. Yeah. So they have the duet class, and and uh, you've no. had to do it for a long time. But anything they more have, than that? Yeah. Um, not really, although. Um, I was up at the Pembroke contest this year. I was judging up there. So I had this nice front row seat to it all. And, and, uh, there was a whole crew that came in from, from Saskatchewan and Manitoba. And they weren't really, I mean, they were familiar with fiddle contests, but maybe not so much the formality, you know, of of the Ontario contest. And, and they, it was so fresh and interesting. They came in, they played in the duet class and at times they played in unison, but at other times they were doing, it was like toe to like, like they were at times they were doing harmony stuff, but other times totally different stuff where, you know, you had, it was almost like counter melodies to one another and, and, uh, um, just really fun musical yeah. things. And, and, um, it was really nice to see that. And I hope that that kind of catches on because for, past 25 years uh it seems like everything has had to be like perfectly in unison in harmony not sorry that doesn't make sense but like you know yeah in harmony together and uh don't ever uh verge more than a third or fourth apart kind of thing you know and, and yeah uh, um so yeah you think it would be neat to have a a trio category i mean yeah there used yeah. to be one at the Dartmouth uh, Fiddle Contest out in Nova Scotia yeah. i do remember that because uh, it'd be really easy i mean obviously even this week hearing three part fiddle is like hearing three fiddles. Uh, uh, anytime I hear that, that's like one of my favorite things. It can be really wonderful. Yeah. 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 Two is great. Three is better. Right, as far as I'm concerned, Definitely. as far as doing harmony stuff. Yeah. Um, that'd be neat to see that. Um, so do you remember what was the first contest you won? Do I don't remember. remember. No. Yeah. Second, third. <laughs> What's the, first one it's you funny, remember I, like i i know uh, it's hard to go back you're young i mean it's it's 
I don't know that I really ever, it, um, it seems strange, but I don't think I really cared that much back then. I yeah. mean, I, it was, you know, fun to go up and play, but, uh, to remember the first time I won, I, I know it happened at yeah. some point, but I, yeah, I, I couldn't say, yeah. um, so what's what was the, okay? Let me rephrase that one. Uh, what was the first one that you remember that was significant? Winning at Shelburne, uh, <laughs> it seemed like a big deal, more so because of the way other people reacted to it. Um, I mean, to me, it was just another contest, but yeah. you know, it was our national championship. So I, I think I was ten and won the the twelve and under category there, and and so it was kind of a surprise too. I don't think, and like, come to think of it, I don't think I had actually won in that category anywhere else all summer long and so um and it's funny i yeah i don't remember winning that like i don't remember the actual competition but i remember the (laughs) that happened yeah well you know the local paper came out and took a photo with the trophy and yeah yeah. it's like okay why are they interested you know but uh but they were i guess so yeah yeah and then it jumps to is 18 and under after that yeah yeah and uh so what was that like jumping to that category? Obviously now I think when you're in 12 and under you're 12, then you jump in the 13. Now you're against people who are 18. I mean, that's a yeah. big, big, uh, big jump. But, um, I think that I always remember that category being really interesting because once you got past that, it was just kind of, it was open after that. Right. That's right. Yeah. So that I think when you're up to 12, you're still young. Right. And mm-hmm. then, it's that category that 1800 it's it gets a little a little tougher in there i think it did i don't know if there was maybe a bit of a a gap um i only played in the 1800 for i think two years and then i moved to the open um there was sort of there was a group of us that came up that were uh, about the same age um i might have been a year half a year a year older than some of them but yeah. um yeah like i think i played in the I think I moved to the open when I was 15. Um, That's pretty awesome. Well, it was kind of a weird thing to do, but, but it was, it was probably the right call. Yeah. 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 Um, And I think it was probably a big part of it was playing with Denis. I think I just, I met Denis when I was 11 and you know, the summer months I would practice and practice and practice. And it, you know, I know that there were days where six hours wasn't like a, a weird thing to do. Yeah. And so I think, you know, at age 12, 13, 14, 13 and 14, especially things just kind of came together or started to come together and, um, I just couldn't get enough of it. So, yeah. yeah. And then when did, when did you start actually playing out performing outside of contests and, and performing, um, regular type shows? When did that start? Well, I think it always was sort of happening, you know, I mentioned the, the four city Maritimer club. I mean, wasn't unusual to go and play in these jams and, you know, you stand up in front of a microphone and, and play with people there. And, and in my mind, that wasn't really any different than, uh, playing it. Like it, to me, that was playing a show because I didn't have a, I didn't have a band that I was playing with or a family member that was accompanying me. So it yeah. was like, it just felt like every time I played, I was playing with somebody new and, and, um, or maybe not every time, but often. And, um, so that just kind of, um, was the way it was. And, and, yeah. you know, there were fall fairs and stuff like that, uh, that would happen. And, um, 
I know when the, you know, at the Maritime Club, we go back to that, they'd have guests and sometimes they they would host concerts and they'd have me play to open or something like that. Yeah. And, and so that. Uh, would Bullfire be like the first kind of really big touring show you did or did you do anything before that? It's the first touring show I played with. Yeah. 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 And that was an eye opener. <laughs> did you enjoy that? Or like the first time out, was it strange or is it? Oh, it was totally wild. Yeah. The, the first gig we ever played, um, uh, was in Hanover, Germany for the world fair. We were there representing Canada right. on Canada day. And, uh, uh, yeah, all of a sudden there you are standing in front of like 5,000 people with like some absolutely unbelievable violinist, like standing around playing like, you know, it was, it was pretty crazy. Like Lara St. John was in the group for the first, I don't know, seven or eight years. And, and like, you know, she's six feet tall and just totally owns the violin. Like, yeah. like to this day, I, you know, I don't know if I've ever heard anybody do what she does with a, a violin. And, and, <laughs> and so there I am standing holding my little fiddle and it's like, Oh, <laughs> like, how am I supposed to keep up with that? But, uh, but they were awesome. Like they yeah. were, it was such a, it was, it was like, finding a new family um playing in that with that group we uh everybody was so receptive to what everyone else brought i mean to give some context everyone came from a different background so yeah. the idea was the concept of the show is that um you would bring um all of these different types of fiddling across canada together uh onto one stage and and uh and so we had you know, some great classical violinists and each one of the classical violinists even kind of came from different schools in a way. And then, uh, you know, great bluegrass fiddler and Ray Legere and, and George Gao is a, an amazing Arhu player, the Chinese violin and yeah. Lenny Solomon playing jazz violin. And, and then Stefan Allard, who was also a jazz and classical violinist, but of a totally different style. He could do the Jean-Luc Ponty thing, but also play, you know, like incredible fusion music, uh, on an electric violin too. And, and, uh, and Daniel Lapp from, um, he played with spirit of the West and all kinds of great stuff. And, and um, John Palatsky eventually joined the group, uh, who's here coming to the, the theater here next summer with step crew. I mean, yep. that's his group. And, um, and, uh, and so anyway, I mean, and there were more too, but what was great was just everybody had, their own voice that was unique and everybody else was interested in learning about that. And pretty much everybody improvised a little bit, at least a little bit in the group. So yeah. there was always, you know, spontaneous things happening in the show. Even if we played a tour where the music was exactly the same night after night, no show was ever even close to the same. Like it was, it was pretty wild how, That's fun. how much things could change night to night. Yeah. Daniel would like his number, he would come out and bring a looping station and, his thing was he would go around and record random things during the day and only pretty much only use those things in his set that night. And he would go out on stage every night and just totally go out on a limb and samples and whether everybody got it or not, I'm not sure, but like, it yeah. was just such an amazing, beautiful thing that he would do. And, um, George Kohler played in the group and he would, you know, go out and, and improvise like he's not really a, a violinist, but he would go out and improvise, it wasn't actually violin. He was playing, he had another instrument. I forget what it was called now, but just, we would just watch him improvise for five minutes every night, you know, and, and it was just, it was so all over the place and, and amazing. And so, uh, that was a pretty wonderful experience. And, and so like a circus slave of fiddle players. Yeah. I mean, Stefan yeah. actually did write music for Verakai 
Cirque du Soleil Verakai. So he, uh, yeah, I mean, totally. Um, great arrangers, great composers, improvisers, uh, and, and players. And, uh, and the, and, you know, the rhythm section was, was killer too. We had the whole time it was always Bernie Sinensky on piano and mm-hmm. Bill Bridges on guitar. Uh, a few bass players that came through Mark Rogers and, uh, Lou Mele, um, uh, so what was your part uh, in the show? So this is, <laughs> this is always so difficult because, uh, you know, as a fiddler from Ontario, it's, I, th- I feel like it's hard to pin down what Ontario fiddling can be sometimes. It is a, it definitely is something. Yeah. I feel like you recognize it as soon as you hear it, but it's hard to explain what it is sometimes. And uh, that was kind of what I was bringing. So um, there was definitely sort of an Irishy element uh, to some of what I would play, definitely bringing, you know, jigs and reels kind of stuff. But, but also, uh, you know, I do a lot of American fiddling. So bringing some swing and, and kind of like, yeah, Texas swing and, and maybe a bit of bluegrassy kind of stuff too. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I always felt like it was so easy to pin everybody else, not pin them down, but you know, at least give them a, a label or something. And I don't know what I would call me, but yeah. Yeah, because Ontario fiddling is kind of like that, right? Or you, East Coast, you can definitely tell you from East. It's almost like hearing someone's accent. Totally, yeah. Ontario is just kind of, it's hard to place it. Yeah. And But you know when you're in the East and you know when you're in the West. and mm-hmm. and But Ontario, just maybe because we live here and it's just so common, um, it's harder to pick out what the difference is. Um, but but it's there. Like there's, yeah, it's, it's there. It's just not as distinct or something as some of the other areas are. And again, maybe that's just because we're just so entrenched in um, what we do that anything different sounds different, right? Yeah. Um, It's, you know, it's funny. Um, Like I look at the Ottawa Valley. Uh, You can have a fiddler that lives in one house and plays mostly jigs and reels, Irish, Scottish kind of stuff. Uh, Like, like, um, influenced at least and, and uh maybe a bit of an influence from quebec and you kind of hear all that in their playing and then the fiddler that lives next door plays foxtrots and two steps and polkas and uh and i'm sure they have lots of tunes in common and yet you know the the music they're playing is is like meant for two totally different types of dancing uh you know you've got one that's played mostly for square and, and step dancing and the other more so couples dancing and and uh uh that always kind of amazes me that there's there's sort of these two branches that that exist here and mm-hmm. um um and it it flies under the radar cuz we don't you know we we don't have a at least in recent times there hasn't you know there hasn't been a TV show or something like that that's that's really showcasing the fiddling that's that's here and it's kind of too bad cuz there are so many fiddlers like i don't think people yeah. realize how many of us there are out there we're we're everywhere yeah you know? <laughs> <laughs> hiding in the trenches yeah. Um, so do you, you, uh, judge a lot of contests now or is it just kind of here and there? I wouldn't say a lot. I, yeah. It comes up from time to time. Yeah. But, uh, do you enjoy that? I do. I love it. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's a, you know, a front row seat and, uh, you know, so often they give you a set of headphones so you can really hear what's going on and, and it's just a great way to hear, you know, what's happening with fiddling yeah. and, and, uh, you know, so what, I, it, what's, uh, being judged? Is it? typically the same from contest to contest as far as in your judging card of, um, and 
what are the primary kind of categories you're looking at? I think it varies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the, even though it might not always be talked about, the, the weight of, of uh, those categories may change too. Um, but so often, you know, the, you know, when you look at the scorecards, they almost always say time and tone and um, often there'll, there'll be something that's, a, there'll be a word danceability on there too. Uh-huh. And, and uh, um, uh, I'm missing something here. Intonation, I guess, maybe as well. And, mm-hmm. But I think, you know, I mentioned the Grand Masters before. They, what they've tried to do is include all of the styles of fiddling that happen in Canada. And, and, you know, obviously there's a big difference between the way somebody plays in Cape Breton versus the way somebody plays in Quebec or the Ottawa Valley or Southern Ontario or the Manitoba or, you know, wherever. And, uh, you know, all these different things happening. And so what they've tried to do is make sure that all, everyone is included. And uh, so they're not so sticky about whether it's... Um, meeting the the old time criteria that you might see at, at the old Shelburne contest or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's interesting because I've, I've, I've judged a few things before not, I don't think I've judged a fiddle contest before, but a couple, a few singing band type um, contests. And it's interesting because I always find with, with scoring systems, it's, it's difficult because the person next to you may have a very small margin Mm-hmm. that they deal with and the person on the other side of you may have a very wide you know margin of of scoring and and not always does it make sense at the end um there could be that's and i think sometimes that's why some people get ahead of other people um just because the little different techniques and how someone scores compared to the next person but in a in a couple contests that I judged what I thought was really neat is that when it came down to the end, if you know, we got three finalists is that I was, I can't remember what contest was. I sat in the room and said, all right, let's put all of our scorecards aside. Mm-hmm. Who do you think should win this without thinking about what the score actually was? Yeah. Yeah. And we, we, we talked it out and it was like, yeah, we all ended up agreeing this person should win without, looking to see really what we scored the person i mean in theory maybe there was another person scoring wise that maybe won mm-hmm. um and maybe because there was like you said maybe there was an intonation um mark that took that one person over but then this other person there's just something about them that was really great right um Without giving any secrets, has that ever happened? <laughs> no. Does that does that happen ever at all? Or maybe not quite like that. Uh, no, uh, not for me yet, at least. But yeah. but um, I think the fiddle contests have kind of worked out the issue of um, you know one judge scoring with a larger spread or smaller spread, and and you know accidentally, or maybe not accidentally, but you know seeing one judge take over, you know in that their scores way more than the rest of the, yeah. you know, the scores from the other judges. So what they've started doing is using a ranking system where, uh, each judge really just comes up with an order of first through whatever. Okay. And yeah. then, uh, at the end of everything, you just total up, you know, all the first place votes and, and the second and third and fourth and, and whatever competitor has the lowest score wins and whoever has the second lowest score yeah. gets second. And, uh, and well, it's a way sense. of, um, you know, it's a way of making sure that each of the judges 
uh, carries equal weight. Mm-hmm. And, and so I like that and it's great. And, uh, most of the contests, not all of them, uh, but most of them that I've judged at the, the judges will still talk about things and make sure that the results that they're seeing, uh, are not, are what they were hoping they would be or something similar to what they, so there'll be a conversation about what, what has, uh, come, come at all. And, uh, I've never, you know, I've been lucky. I've never really had too much trouble. I, I did, I made a bit of a stink once where there was a mistake made and somebody didn't make the finals and, and, um, should have, you know, yeah. all the judges had this person in and there was a tabulating error and, but it had been announced. And, and oh, yeah. so the, I guess the contest wanted to save face and didn't want to say something. And it was like, well, that's not right. And yeah. so. I haven't been asked back to judge their sense, but, <laughs> but that person got to play in the finals. So, <laughs> um, in fact, they ended up oddly enough, they ended up winning, <laughs> but, uh, well, that's uh, good for you. But, yeah, uh, well, yeah, yeah, but I mean, it, you want to get it right. Um, yeah. but, you know, I tried, I mean, it's a fiddle contest. You try not to take anything too seriously, but yeah, yeah you do want to get it right. So, um, I've never, you know, I hear all these stories and I, I maybe experienced a bit of it as a competitor, but all these stories about, some you know weird results from judges and and in my experience when i've actually judged fiddle contests uh i've been paired up with good honest people and and who seem to have similar outlooks to music and and we've usually been on the same page so how many judges usually uh are judging is it the canadian contest is almost always three Three, yeah. yeah um weezer had uh the years that i was going out there they had five yeah. Um, and they would throw out the high and the low mark. Oh yeah. So it seemed like a, that makes sense. You know, a reasonably fair way to do it. Um, I think they still have their issues too, but yeah. Yeah. So I want to move on to, uh, a couple things. Um, instrument wise, um, how picky are you in your, in your instrument and your bow? And I always have this conversation cause, uh, Donnie Reed and I, I have always asked for a while there was in search for, you know, what's the best bowl to use. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, the other thing, strings is always a big thing when I was talking strings, but going to the, like the bowl, I had a really, really nice bowl at one point and, uh, it's worth, you know, a few thousand dollars, um, several thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, we were setting up at a show once and, and, uh, my dad had uh, put the ladder over my case uh, to climb up to adjust some lighting, uh, stage lighting. And he had slipped through and mm-hmm. right through the boat, snapped in half, and I was done. And um, since then, I've just bought $100 bows. Mm-hmm. That's all I've ever played. Because I just didn't feel like I needed to to go that and and the one co- the one reason that really made me stick with it is that's what Donnie Reed does. Mm-hmm. He just plays crappy cheap bows, and I also go through hair like crazy. Uh, so it's just it's just cheaper for me to buy yeah, another no, bow than get a rehair. You're not alone there. Yeah, uh, I remember when Ashley McIsaac used to come into Heinel's in Toronto, and he'd just buy a bin of bows. You know, the thirty five dollar glazer or glasser bows. Yeah, and just throw them out when you're done. Duh. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what to say. I've got, um, I've gone through different, uh, different phases. I have a, I think, way too big of a bow collection now. There's a yeah. lot of really nice 
bows in that collection and they're not always the ones that I want to play. Uh, I think my tastes have changed over the years. I have carbon fiber bows that are not, you know, not valuable. They're fine. I frequently play on them. I've got a bow that I bought in China on a tour over there. I think I paid $15 for it and, uh, I love it. It's great. Um, that said, uh, I also really like my nice bows too. And, and it depends what I'm playing. I think, um, there's some bows that I like for, you know, bluegrassy kind of stuff. And there's some bows that I really like for more, um, articulate, you know, Irishy kind of things or whatever where you want, or something where you want to bounce the bow or, or, you know, get, get that kind of stuff happening. Um, so I'm, I, I don't know what to say. I'm, to be honest, I just haven't found my dream bow yet though. I yeah. mean, it's, it's, I think about it almost every day. <laughs> I yeah, just haven't I, found it. <laughs> I go through phases about that too. But even more than that, for me, it's strings. Um, for me, looking at fiddle strings was kind of what I used to look at red wine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just look at the pretty labels and they're all expensive. Yeah, And it's like, well, am I supposed to buy $1,000 worth of fiddle strings and just go through them to try and find the ones I like. And the thing I find is that you get used to, you know, you put a set on, it's like, yeah, it's okay. And you know, it seems to work. And then you kind of get used to them. And then, then you go back and say, well, shoot, what should I try now? Or it's not something like they're not guitar strings where you change them, you know, as much. Um, I'm not sure we're on the same page here. No, you change your <laughs> strings a lot. And I'm all over the place. I can't find a set of strings that I, where I keep buying the same set over and well, over. Well, I, I don't buy the same set. Oh, over. you don't? Oh, no. okay. What I'm saying is I keep trying different sets. Yeah, okay, right. right and, right. but I can't, I can't really decide. I don't oh, really, okay. I haven't really got a set where I went, yeah. Oh, okay. This, we are totally on the same page. Is, I'm just not listening. Yeah, this <laughs> is the bomb. But the thing is, I, I, Someday I just want to go and buy as many different sets as I can and and just go through them. Yeah. But first of all, that's time consuming. It takes a long time for your, your strings to settle. Um, and it's not as if you can really A-B them quickly. Um, no. And they're ridiculously expensive. For yeah. what, they're way overpriced. They, oh, they yeah. should not be the money that they are. Um, and you know, and then you look. It's like, well, this set must be good because it's two. They're two hundred dollars for the set. Mm-hmm. You get four strings for two hundred bucks, and and it's like, let's try that. And then you try, and it's like, ah, well, it doesn't sound like two hundred dollar strings. It didn't, yeah. I'm not sure if I like them any better than the forty dollar set that I bought. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for a while, I went. I can't remember. I went on a couple of fiddle forums and and kind of searched. You know. Uh, what strings do you know people are using? Well, that's useless because you know everyone has an opinion on sure. You know, it's like asking people, "What should you have a Mac or a PC?" Well, that's just a battle, right? And since mm-hmm. everyone has their opinion, um, and I'm you know I know certain strings are good for certain things, and other sure. strings are, you know, but yeah, I'm I'm in a constant battle of knowing. So what are you using? I don't even remember now. You don't. <laughs> I have to take a look. <laughs> that's great. I, I probably saw them in the lineup. I'd be like, yeah, because they always have these weird names too. Yeah. I mean, I can never pronounce half of them. I mean, it's like, yeah. I'll get those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the green package. 
<laughs> the green and white package. You know yeah, the yeah. green in the corner and the white and the rest? Yeah, I like those. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do remember some of them, but uh, yeah. I don't remember what I'm using now. I actually went down. I think I was trying some D'Addario strings. Mm-hmm. Um, and they seemed to... I, I just kind of got tired of spending a stupid amount of money on, yeah. on fiddle strings and not being really impressed that they're they were worth that much more yeah. um than other strings i've tried so i did grow up playing the same strings all the time i grew up playing chrome core because yeah. that was what graham townsend played and it just seemed like it was like what everybody used at the contests and uh or not everybody but most and then at some point i realized well bowfire the bowfire days so, oh wait there's more out there though yeah and uh did that ever get expensive yeah you're right. And I think it really depends on the instrument. It, and this is it. So every year I seem to be on a different instrument. I can't yeah. find my, uh, I haven't settled on an instrument yet either. Yeah. I'm getting older. I'm going to have to find one soon. Did you go in, in, through an electric fiddle phase at all? I've I, had a, I I've had a couple. Museum. I've got a museum yeah. somewhere. Actually, I've had three. I, but I wouldn't call, uh, I didn't ever use them on stage or anything like yeah. that though. No. I, back in the day, uh, gosh, I think it, I remember when it was. I well, Barcus Berry was the yeah, you know, the first five string I got. Uh, I remember ordering it from was it Manny's in New York? Yeah, um, yeah. And it came, and I remember uh, I was pretty young, um, just in my early teens. I think we were playing a dance that night. And sure enough, it came. It's a red. Park Spirit Fiddle Five String. It looked fantastic. <laughs> this is the one I'm taking. Well, that was a disaster because the first time on a five string, <laughs> and I'm like 13, and it was like, what the heck is going on? And you just kept going down to play your G string, and there's another other string down there. And it doesn't sound right. <laughs> no. And the string, you know, and everything's way closer together. Yeah. And I remember without, I don't think I even really even. It just kind of came in the mail, and we're heading out, and that's what I took. Mm-hmm. And really, the first time playing it more than two seconds was for four hours mm-hmm. for a dance. And I thought I was going to take a hostage. <laughs> 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 I remember it playing this day. But then I began to, you know, love five strings because I, I love being that close. Yeah, Back to four string now, but uh, I, I loved I love the five string and I heard you talking to a fellow earlier asking you about your five string and that, yeah. you know, it was rare that I, I played the fifth. Um, every once in a while on a ballad, I'd go down there, but yeah. it just felt like I, you didn't know what to do with it. Um, and it just didn't feel natural to be down there very often. Yeah. Um, but I just liked being, having the strings close and, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I went from, a, uh, I've had, a few Barcus Berries and they're just pieces of crap when it comes down to it. They're every single one was so drastically different from one another. I found hmm. they s- sounded really different. Mm-hmm. So at the time when I was getting them, you just couldn't try them. There was no place to try them out around here. So you just, mm-hmm. you'd have to order one and yeah. they just come in. That's what you get. And it's like, Oh crap, this one, I had a blue one. I got always, I just choose them by colors and there was a red one. There was a blue one. There was another one. <laughs> The blue one was awful. It was just sounded horrible. And I just never hardly ended up playing. I was just like, oh, okay, this is, you know, you might have picked it up for one song or it's the backup one and it was mm-hmm. cool on stage. Oh, look, there's a blue one. Mm. And, uh, but then I went to uh, Zetas. 
Mm-hmm. So I had a Zeta, a Zeta Jazz violin. Um, and then I had a Zeta Stratos, I think they were called. Um, and I played those for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then I finally just eventually just went back to an acoustic again and just like, ah, oh, this is what it's supposed to sound like. Mm-hmm. And and I've tried a bunch. I went, this, there's a neat store in, I think it's called the Electric Violence Shop or something in North Carolina. Oh, I don't know it. Um, I was on tour and uh, we were close by and I asked the guys to say, hey, can we stop in here? For, you know, and it was just like, they had everything. They mm-hmm. had every electric violin I've ever wanted to try. And I went through everyone. I went through every single thing I could. And the guys eventually left. Say, yeah, we're going to go down to the mall for a while and get yeah. something to eat and stuff. Yeah, you guys go come get me in a couple of hours. They were getting bored. Um, and it was awesome because I really got to try everything. And it, I, I laughed with like, yeah, I don't like any of them. There wasn't anything I liked. <laughs> yeah. Well. Um, and then I ordered. Yeah. Uh, there was one from, from, is it from Scotland? or It's called Sky and Bow. Have you heard of that one? Mm-mm. And they had this weird preamp thing where you actually had to charge the preamp inside. You had like a quarter inch jack with a battery connector at the end of the other end with a nine volt battery adapter. So you you plug this thing for a while. It's like you're charging the thing up and and away it go. But then there was no indicator at all when that thing would be done. And so you could be playing, you could be in the middle of a song and all of a sudden it just kind of fades away. <laughs> and it's like you had to get jumper cables to start the darn thing up again. So that didn't last long. And then, yeah, I've just been, uh, I've been back to uh, acoustics and I've been using, um, do you know Les Shotton? Yeah, I, I went into a shop and had him yeah, he's, put a pickup on my uh, fiddle. Yeah. So I've been using his... Uh, he put one on mine a few months ago. Yes, he said, "Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, prototyping something here. Try this one." So, yeah, oh, um, I'm uh, interested. I'd like to see that. Yeah, so it's it's. Um, I had problems with mine. Eventually, the jack would wear out, and then all of a sudden, you'd be playing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, "Okay," um, and then, or else, you know, the volume knob would mm-hmm. eventually go because it's from rotating it on and off. So he's he's gone to different system on that but they they feel pretty good Mm -hmm. um i tried the mark wood uh uh crazy fretted um the viper the viper i was at nam and i tried it i actually was there's a couple of those moments where you feel like you're really embarrassed and that's when i tried the viper at the nam show (laughs) it was like they they basically strapped this thing on and you know he's there you know he's been playing this thing forever and they had a couple other uh, people there demonstrating, and I was like, "Hey, I'm a fiddle player from Canada. Oh, great! Blah 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 blah." I said, "Hey, you got to try this out. Good." And it was almost like trying my five string when I was twelve for the first yeah. time, because he was like, "Oh, okay, I I feel like I can't play anything. It just was so foreign at first. Well, it sits way out in front of you too, right? Yeah, there was nothing natural about it at all. And you know, I just kind of quietly played it for a minute or two. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to walk over here and look at the drums. <laughs> <laughs> it was just one of those things like, all of a sudden it's like, oh, now I can't play. And it just felt like you were starting all over again. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I didn't, I didn't really get that instrument. It didn't really interest me a whole lot. Yeah. Uh, it was, well, seemed like it would be fun if you had a lot of time to kind of, 
hook up a bunch of pedals and be able to play some guitar solos on sure. it. But it's like, well, that's what you have a guitar player for. Yeah. And, you know, why yeah. do you want to do that on the fiddle? Why don't you just play the fiddle? <laughs> well. But they're neat. I thought, you know, it's a really cool instrument, a really neat concept. It looked I, great it's on been... stage with the so the Trans-Siberian Orchestra there. Yeah. That he's, yeah. We went to see them and played the ACC years ago. And I was like, oh, that, that's pretty cool. Like, it looks good there. But in my world that I run in, maybe not so much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But anyways, long story short, back to... Uh, I got uh, a good friend of mine, the fiddle that I play now, um, a friend of mine, Mr. Don Crow from Barry used to uh, book all the entertainment at the Barry Fair. And I did a bunch of work for him for years. And and uh, his whole family I know and his daughters I'm really good friends with. And so one day I was heading up to do a show at Casino Rama and he said, drop in for a second. I have a fiddle that I want you to try. And I hope I'm getting it. It's his dad's or his grandpa's fiddle. Um, and he used to play in the Toronto Symphony um, back in like early 1900s. Um, back, back. Um, so it's been kind of sitting around and, and he says, I want, I'm interested to find out what it sounds like. So I said, oh, sure, go, yeah. So, you know, play it. It's like, yeah, it sounds really great. I really, really like it. He goes, it's yours. What? And uh, <laughs> yeah, I want you. To, I, I want to play it, and uh, so it's cool. I, it's it's the instrument I really like now, and mm-hmm. that's the one I play. And um, and I've been, I've had that one. I have an older French violin. Um, but yeah, I, I once again, I would like to really go on a hunt for the fiddle for me, and and but it's very time consuming and very expensive and it can be and yeah. i like i like recording equipment way too much <laughs> yeah i spend my money on that i can see that and uh <laughs> but uh it's neat when you find uh you know a bowl or you know certain certain set of strings or particular fiddle that just feels yeah. right for you uh it makes all the difference in the world it's been an interesting year for me about a year ago i had a I was playing a gig with ian bell and in the allison lupton band and uh uh, Ian showed up at a rehearsal with, how did this work now? Oh, he had a, a lot of music. That's what it was. Like, like old books. He knew that I had been looking for a couple of these like really old Scottish books. And, and it turned out he had, uh, come across these and, and, uh, he already had them and he thought, well, I'll send them on to Shane. So, so, you know, we're talking about it and he says, uh, explain the story. It was a uh, fellow Grenville Hall up in, the Huntsville area passed away and uh, you didn't know Granville by chance, did you? Mm-hmm. No. And uh, I got looking through the music and there were all these Xerox copies of music. And I was like, Oh, this is crazy. Like I have so many of these handwritten things, like photocopies, like I like exactly these copies. So we clearly had some mutual friends, even though he was like 60 years older than me or whatever. Like, I mean like, you know, and um he, uh, so he passed away and his family gave all of his books, his, he did some, he's kind of like an amateur repairman too. And so all his, you know, tools and, and, uh, and his violins away and they wanted them to go to people that would, uh, play them like, you know, like your yeah. friend there. And, uh, so anyway, Ian said, I, he heard me talking about a student, uh, who was in need of a violin. And so he said, oh, I, I think I've got something for you here. So he brought two fiddles to the next gig and. I picked one out and brought it back to the house and Andrew Collins happened to be staying at our house that night. And Andrew was very polite. He was like, you know, I don't mean to, 
I don't want to upset you or insult you, but that fiddle sounds better than your fiddle. <laughs> like, yeah. Really? I don't know about that. You know, and he left and I put another set of strings on it and it was almost unplayable. It was in such bad shape, but I had to admit it's like way better than mine. Yeah. And, uh, so, um, been playing on that for the past year and, and it's, it's, you know, it's pretty, pretty amazing to come across that. But, but then this, eh, about two weeks ago, uh, Fred Gayford showed up at it. Oh, maybe a little more than two weeks, but he showed up at a gig and gave me a, he brought his new five string carbon fiber fiddle. And we've been, he's been building these for years and I've been trying to offer suggestions. He, he had actually never heard of a five string fiddle before. I was like, you know, you might have an, you know, there's room here. Like, you might be able to go somewhere with this. So, uh, he brought it by and, and, um, yeah, he's still, there's a, there's a couple of little things for him to tweak here still, but he's, he's onto something. So I'm kind of, I'm torn because it's so, they're so different. Like the carbon fiber fiddle sounds so open and resonant and, uh, fat sounding. Uh, and I love it for certain things, but when it comes to playing jigs and reels, I still feel like I sometimes want to go back to that, uh, you know, acoustic fiddle that, that cuts and, and yeah. has that bite that, you know, I'm just, I haven't quite found yet in the, the carbon fiber. So I'm kind of debating, I don't know what to do. And then I've got a new bow this week as well. My dad, uh, oh, he's not going to like me saying this, but he, he bought this bow years ago and he sat on it about 10 years ago, Yeah, broke into three pieces and yeah. he, he just had it put back together, you know, thinking probably it will never be playable again, but to put it back together. It feels like it, nothing ever happened to it. It's hard to believe. And, uh, so it's like getting together with an old friend again. I like, I totally forgot how much I love this bow. Yeah. And, uh, so it's kind of been fun playing this week and, and trying, uh, you know, old stuff that I used to do with that bow and you know, bounce it around and all that. It's like, Oh yeah, this is so familiar. It's interesting because there's still with all the technology there is out there, there's still, there's lots of pickups and lots of different ways to amplify a fiddle. There still isn't anything that's really great yet. To amplify. Yeah. There's no one thing that no, I works for I everything. I still can't say that, yeah, this is the one that's better than all the rest. I mean, they're all good. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of good ones. And there's one's a little better at this and one's a little better at that. But I haven't found... Uh, and for me, it's important because most of my my playing is with a band and I mean, I know you do that a lot too. Um, but very rarely I don't have a cord plugged into my fiddle. Um, unless I'm in the studio. Um, and it's still a haunt to try to find that, you know, um, you know, I like the DPA mic you're using, but then there's parts of it. That's not great either. It's um, tough playing with drums it's yeah you know, it's, it's it's not probably totally meant for that uh, no when you're in a large situation where you've got a bigger pa and you've got a lot more players around you if it was you and a piano or a guitar or something on its own like when you uh were playing this morning it was like yeah that sounds good there which is usually what i do like yeah. that's that's my my thing where i'm usually just with guitar and bass or or maybe piano but you know not uh full electric band you know yeah. yeah that's yeah that's where it fell and the other thing is like what do you use for an amp and and all that stuff because i used to gosh i used to carter you know big amps you know usually steel guitar amps because you get the bigger bottom thicker sound and uh so i don't carry any of that 
stuff anymore. I just kind of, I have a line six guitar pedal board, mm-hmm. plug into that, make my EQ settings, have a couple of delay and a reverb available and plug her in and yeah. away I go. Um, yeah. And, and so I don't, you know, I guess I run in different circles. I, I don't, I don't own a pedal board. I don't have an amp. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually don't own an amp. I mean, that's hard to believe, but, um, I haven't played through an amp in, in years. Yeah. But there were times I still have a, I remember out playing, um, a country show. Um, and I remember the gig, I had a real hard time hearing myself and I, I know I had everything kind of cranked up and I was like, oh, God, I can barely hear myself. And the next day, for some reason, I remember being back here in the studio and I needed to make some adjustments or do something. I remember plugging my fiddle into the amp, turning it on. It was so loud that even bringing my bow up close to the strings felt that I was going to blow the house up. Like there was so much power there that just literally just getting the bow close to strings felt like, oh my gosh, this is going to be crazy. And I was thinking... Like I, I could barely, the lightest I could play it was so loud. And I'm thinking, gosh, the night before, I couldn't hear this. Yeah. And I'm thinking, oh gosh. And then you, you know, you think, how, how's your playing suffer through that? If you just, all you do is playing <laughs> hard. Sawing away. And yeah. the song, you can't really hear intonation. You're just playing. Hopefully <laughs> it's going to be it. good, right? So, uh, yeah, thank, thank goodness I haven't done that for a while, but, um, playing with the family, we, we keep our stage volume pretty quiet and it's really nice because everyone just has a nice little pocket to play in and yeah. I get a nice sound through a monitor and, and, uh, luckily I'm, there's four of us up front and, uh, so I like being able to go in stereo if I'm putting a reverb on. So it's great. So I just put the stereo, keep my, it's my mixes left and then, on either side of me, there's a monitor, so I'll put the right side in either. So no matter where I walk on either side, I'm in a stereo image because mm-hmm. there's another speaker over there carrying the other side. So it works, works good. But I fell in love with the uh, doing the in ear thing when we were touring with Bowfire and and a little bit yeah. with Step Crew too. I played with them for a few years and and uh, you know with Bowfire where there were at the at the height there were 11 violins good luck picking yourself out of the 11 violins that were blasting from the side fills oh, yeah. on the side of the stage and as soon as we moved to in ears it was like oh so that's what i'm actually playing and and it was kind of it was scary the first show like there were like maybe not even first show the first rehearsal with in ears and actually hearing like very clearly what it was that i was actually playing it was like whoa like yeah, way nice. overplaying though like before and yeah, yeah it's like it was like a way to start playing musically again when you can actually hear yourself. The only thing I found with in-ears with playing uh, fiddle is when you have to play quiet. Mm-hmm. Like when you're doing something really kind of soft and find that delicate balance between being able to hear yourself when everything's going f- full out and you got the full band mix and everyone's playing and you, you got yourself nice. But then there's that moment where maybe you start the song and now it's really prominent in your ear. So I found playing lightly, you almost, if you weren't scared to, but it was like when it's acoustic or if I had a volume pedal or something like that, I could, yeah. you could just play and it just, it would just, you know, you could turn the fader down, whatever you had to do. But when it's in your ear and there's no volume adjustment, mm-hmm. then um, I found that tough. I had to end up having to just find a spot on the volume control 
of my fiddle where if I was playing something that was really low key or something, this is last time I did this was out, I was out with Tommy Hunter. And uh, so there's lots of times where the band would play something quiet while he tells a story for five, 10 minutes and we're just mm-hmm. vamping a song and it come to your time to solo. And it's like, I can't play that quiet yeah. with the in-ears and my fiddle at this volume. So I had to kind of mark a spot uh, with my volume control that I knew I could go to so that now I can play and play a little harder. Um, sure. And it wouldn't be like, oh my gosh, you know. Uh, I totally can relate to that. Yeah. One of my solutions with the in-ears was to put, um, uh, as long as you had a stereo mix, to, to put the fiddle in my left ear with time and maybe bass and nothing else. And then in the right ear have everything else and I could kind of keep myself like always pick myself out, but always feel like the band was, was also there. Like, uh, like I wouldn't have myself in the right ear yeah. at all. And I guess I'm, it's funny. I was talking to Ben Kenor. He hears pitch differently in both ears between his two ears. Oh, which really? Totally blows me away. He hears beats when he hears tones and stuff. And it's like, wow, this is crazy, but I don't think I deal with that. And so this whole stereo thing works and, and, uh, um, I don't know. I, I totally relate though. It's, it's so tricky when you feel like you can't play because it's just too loud. That's, that's kind of the worst actually. Yeah. Cause you get shaky or, you know, it just, you, you just, you're both just, you just don't want to, you just want to be smooth when yeah. you come in and it's not easy. Yeah. Uh, that's the only thing I found with, with ears. Uh, but I, yeah, I love them. I mean, it, it solves a lot of issues and, a lot of tours I do now, I, I try to put everybody in the ears as much as possible. And, um, Especially for me, because I like, I like to use a mic, and uh, it means that I don't have to have a monitor blaring yeah. in front of me either. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know. If I can get away from a pickup, I try to. I mean, I have, I have a lot of pickups. I have, <laughs> despite, <laughs> I only brought it, I've been playing here all week, and I didn't even bring one of them with me, but yeah. Uh, um, gone through you know the bags and the shatten and i like like them they're fine and the akg c411 and the i've got some other ones you stick on and i still if i can oh, i want that mic you know yeah and i like it too i've just i can't stay in a mic i'm just i'm too mobile oh <laughs> I'm, fair enough yeah. i'm you know i'm a guy who likes to be around the stage a lot or moving or yeah. whatever so um it's nice, but I could never stay there. I'd, yeah. I start pacing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I have, I mean, I like the, the clip on Mike. I've, I've, I'm going to do a tour with Claire Lynch here in a week or two. And, uh, I think for that tour, it'll be a mic on a stand and just moving in and out. But it, it's such a, her, her arrangements are so dynamic and back to what you're saying about playing quietly. Like there's just no way I could, I can play quiet enough with a clip on mic or a pickup, like it's like, I need to be able to back away from the mic and, yeah. and still play. Um, uh, I think this is going to be okay. I hope so. We're yeah. going to find out. We haven't actually done any shows yet. So, uh, with any luck, but I just bought one of the, uh, uh, ear trumpet labs, Edwina mics. Mm-hmm. Have you come across these? No, they kind of look like they're made out of plumbing parts. And, oh, really? Yeah. It's kind of fun though. Uh, so I'm going to take that out and test it out and see if it, See if it works. Hopefully it will. Yeah. Yeah. Someday we'll find the, the magic combination and 
but I see I see a lot of uh, filler and, and violinists going with the DPA, like you have, um, and see it more common now than 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 ever, and it, it makes it makes sense. Uh, I think for most circumstances, as long as you're not in a louder band situation yeah. again, um, and that's where always the trouble comes in, where you've got you know guitar cabinet over here and a loud drummer over there, and uh, mm-hmm. unless you're in ears. But even even still, even then, you yeah. get lots of bleed. I you know I can hear. Um, uh, there's times today I could hear you breathing in your mic. Oh yeah, yeah, I hear it too. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> which no one else is probably going to notice. But th- there's a couple of times there's like, what was that? Yeah. Oh, Shane's breathing. Yeah. Oh, he and, took a breath. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Don't pass <Yeah>. out. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you got to you be careful that you're not you know. Oh, totally. I, a heavy I, breather. I had, the, I had the uh, the earlier version, like DPA mic, the forty sixty one or whatever it was, and and it was uh, it was really bad for that. Like it would you'd, you'd hear the wind like rustling over the mic every time you exhaled if you weren't careful. So you always, actually, I actually had to change the way I was holding the violin while I was playing with that for you know that's what we used for most of the bowfire years. And and uh, I mean, it sounds if you can get it under control, it sounds great. But it's it's like you really have to be aware that it's there and yeah. I think the new DPA is is definitely an improvement over that. Well, the pickup systems too. You just get so much bow noise. Mm-hmm. Um, I like a little, uh, but uh, I know the the pickup now. It's it's pretty live, and and the most part I have is is in between songs when someone's talking. That if I'm moving my fiddle at all, uh-huh. you get that you know you get that rumble of the instrument, right? So I'm constantly you know volume pedal off in between so I can, you know, readjust and put your fiddle down or whatever you want to do. Yeah. And just as soon as you're ready, volume back up and away yep. you go. Uh, if I don't do that, I'll just, every move you make, it's got to be careful. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, it's, it, it's, you know, makes the whole instrument into something that's amplified. So, mm-hmm. um, and there's, you know, it's hard to get around that cause it's, you know, everything's attached and it's meant to, it's meant to do that. The whole instrument's meant to, yeah. to, admit a sound yeah. so you strap a uh a, a pickup of any sort to that it's going to just make anything I mean, it's, it's fun the odd time if you want to do something percussive on your on the body of the fiddle mm-hmm. um but yeah not too often i end up doing that so. yeah me neither yeah <laughs> anyway so where uh what's in the future coming up for for shane cook well um hoping to do another uh recording this year i, I lead a a group of, uh, a quartet, I guess, um, you know, the, uh, Joe Phillips on, on bass and vocals. And really, he's a really, uh, incredible, incredible bass player. He's sort of, he's sort of all over the place. He mostly tours with Jamie Stone, but so he's been out with Tim O'Brien and, and people like that too. But he, yeah. he has this classical background. So he plays with Lennon Symphony. He also plays with the National Arts Center Orchestra sometimes. And, um, and then he's he's in a tango band. He's sort of all over the place. He just kind of, I feel like you can drop him in any musical situation and he'll float. Yeah. Um, so Joe and but Joe lives in London, so we're close together, and it's really wonderful to get to play with him. And then Kyle Weymouth, who was uh, playing with us this week, yeah. uh, who plays guitar and tenor banjo and step dances, and then uh, Emily Flack, who is a singer and uh, pianist and and step and tap dancer. And, uh, so we're going to, we started a record last winter and just things got, uh, busy and, um, um, just didn't get finished. And 
in the end, it was sort of, it was nice to regroup. And I think we're going to probably start, not maybe not start over, but take a fresh start at it, uh, with a grant this time and, and, you yeah. know, do it that way. So, uh, so we'll do that this winter. Uh, got a more, more kind of soon though. I'm playing with, uh, Claire Lynch. She's, uh, I think she. Well, I just read. I didn't even realize that she's been nominated for three Grammys and she's won three IBMAs for Female Vocalist of the Year and and uh, just an incredible musician from Nashville. But she's moving up to Toronto and so she's starting a kind of a Canadian band. So I've joined oh, her cool. her band there and awesome. and so has Joe actually and yeah. uh, and Darren Shutt and you would know Darren. Yeah, I know Darren. Well, yeah. yeah, so it's a pretty fantastic group of people and yeah. so we're gonna go to Saskatchewan, Alberta, and British Columbia. So we'll do that late September, early October or into October. And, yeah. um, and then I sometimes play with the step crew. John has uh, some stuff lined up, might play a couple gigs with them this fall. And, and then, um, play with Alison Lupton. She's got a, a, a band. So I play in her band and, and then I've got a whole bunch of, um, sort of smaller gigs lined up. And, and then, um, actually you mentioned the other Shane's, uh, subbing in for, Shane Gusey yeah. for some stuff in early December. Oh, that's good. So, yeah, that'll get me into February, and then I think I'm headed up to Yukon in February. And Ooh, that's a good time to head there. Yeah, it sounds like an adventure to me. Yeah. Uh, I hope that works out. I, I did lose a fiddle in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan in the middle of the winter once. It it got so dry, it just it yeah. split down the sound post and... It's the driest place on earth, apparently, while I was there, too. Or, sorry, the coldest place on earth. Uh, wow. Yeah. And uh, I fell there several times. Did not like it in mm-hmm. uh, early February. But uh, anyway, just lots of, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's great. It's sort of different things almost every week and, uh, and different types of music. And it always feels fresh. And, and um, you know, if there's something I'd don't like I move on to the next thing and I feel really lucky I've been around good people and playing with you know good people and there seem to be opportunities to play to play music so that's awesome keep doing it well you're a phenomenal fiddle player and it's been really cool listening to you play all week it's funny uh, thanks Darren um, I'm, I'm sure you get as a fiddle player I think you always get people come up to you and say hey, have you ever heard this person um and probably I would say, um, you know, most of the time uh, I would hear from people, have you heard Shane Cook? Oh. <laughs> Out of almost anybody else, it, that would be like the number one person <laughs> if I would put the list of everyone and say, have you heard of that fiddle player? And is it most of the time it was... It's my dad coming to a lot of your shows. He comes all the time. Yeah. He's just constantly coming up and saying, have you heard my son? <laughs> um, but no, that, that's, that's a great comment because not only... Do the musicians know you're really great? The people uh, hmm. understand and get it, and 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 lots of people um, know who you are and and love what you're doing, and and that's really awesome. And and congratulations on on your success so far. And uh, there's a lot of years left for us yet. I hope so. Yeah. Thank you. And it's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's been fun. And uh, I know uh, it's funny because I, as I mentioned, I'm I'm not out meeting a lot of fiddle players. Uh, very often and it, so it's nice to to hang out this week's been fun and and i'm sitting now off to the side mixing the show and my foot's tapping constantly and it's uh it's been a lot of fun so but it's nice having you at the podcast and and chatting uh chatting about fiddle stuff so it's really yeah awesome. it's good to talk shop and it, and yeah. it has been great to have you mixing the show you 
definitely know your stuff. Like it has felt very good on stage. And oh, thanks. So thank you. I remember <laughs> I once was doing, I'm trying to remember what East Coast band it was. I was out East doing sound for a, um, a convention. It was for, um, I think it was for like a fair convention for getting dates at uh, other venues and stuff. Mm-hmm. And gosh, I could remember what band it was. And they came in, they were playing Barkisberry fiddles. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just had one for a long time. I knew exactly how it needed to be EQ'd. And so they, they came up and they started explaining everything about the fiddle and how it should be EQ'd. And they didn't know who I was and I know that I played fiddle or anything. I said, yeah, I think I got it pretty well dialed in already. Let's see how it sounds. And they plugged it in and, and he played, literally played three or four seconds. And he just stopped. And he looked out and goes, that's the best fiddle sound I've ever had. How'd you do that? <laughs> and, and I said, well, I'm a fiddle player. And uh, he goes, really? And uh, yeah, I said, I have, I have a bark spare. I know, I know, kind of know where to dial it in. Yeah. And they were blown away. And I met them again like a year later at a, another gig. And that's... The, you're the sound guy that knows how to play (laughs) (laughs) it's just knowing the instrument and that's all it is and uh uh, most you know sound guys don't know what to do with a fiddle or steel guitar or any instrument like that oh it's a treat when you find someone who does so yeah yeah it's it's fun it's it's challenging because it's not an easy instrument uh unfortunately it almost always needs work Mm -hmm. like you throw it in the pa system and not very often where you can just turn it up and you're ready to go. It, yeah. it's, it always needs top end taken off and because yeah. the PA is not really tuned for a fiddle. It's tuned for a vocal. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, you, you always end up start carving EQ like crazy. But if you hopefully know where to carve and what to do. And the problem is when you get a sound guy, doesn't know what to do with it and just turns it up and doesn't fix it. And that's... You know, we've all been through that's brutal. It's so hard to play when it's sharp and ripping your face off. Sure. And, um, you know, but uh, it's fun. I always find it a challenge to try to to get that uh, as close as I can and try to get as smooth as I can. Because, and I think it's for any, any instrument, if it feels good for the player, they're just going to play better. Um, totally, yeah, absolutely, for any instrument. So, I think for any sound guy, that's the you know the goal is to. First of all, make sure that whatever the band members are hearing is really good. Mm-hmm. And then that will just translate out front and it would be fine. So anyways, enough about that stuff. Um, <laughs> blabbled on in there. I know what I was going on for. But anyways, I enjoy the fiddle and it's great chatting with you. And uh, let's do it again. Yeah, I hope so. I hope we could have a tune too. And also before uh, we go, how, how can people get uh, in touch with you social media wise? Uh, that you wanted to reach out or find out more information about what's the best way to do that? The easiest way, uh, I don't know what the easiest way is, but I, you know, I do have a website. It's shanecook.com. You can find me on Facebook too. Um, uh, there's an email on my, my website too. Um, yeah, that'd be the way. And if you have any good suggestions on strings, just let us know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a, a hundred emails coming in. And uh, a small check donation to try them all out. Oh, yeah, please. Yeah, yeah. don't forget that. All right. It's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, make sure you follow uh, In Session with Darren Walters on 
iTunes. Make sure you hit the like button or leave a comment and and uh, subscribe um, and uh, tell your friends and uh, uh, keep building the podcast up. And it's been lots of fun with Shane Cook here, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. <laughs>